Hello and welcome to this further study on the character of God. Let's pray together. Day by day, O Lord, of thee three things we pray. To see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, and to follow thee more nearly, day by day. We've been, been considering the character of God using the letters of the English alphabet as, as hooks on which to hang words and we've looked at 15 words so far the last time we considered that God is a king he is love he is merciful he is omnipresent and he is omniscient we didn't do an n and I shan't today be doing a q but our letter to begin with today is p p for providence not a word you'll find in your bible but the idea of providence is in every book it means that God works out everything that takes place for his glory. It means that God puts everything right in the end. It means that God brings meaning out of the mess that we make of our lives and of the world. It ties in, of course, with the previous talk on God being a king. And if you can get a grip of the idea of the providence of God. You will find this to be iron rations for your soul. Think of the Old Testament prison. Sorry, Joseph being in prison for 13 years. And yet after those 13 years of misery, he was used to save Egypt from a famine. And then his terrified brothers turned up in Egypt. Sure that this great leader was going to have them executed. And Joseph said to them, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for sending me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Now that is providence. Think of the two Old Testament examples where holocausts were attempted to wipe out the Jewish race altogether. Pharaoh tried to do this, but Moses survived and became the saviour of the nation. And Haman tried to do it, but Esther was there, already married to the king. And so his Holocaust attempt came to nothing. Now that is providence. Think of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego about to be thrown into a blazing furnace. And they said to the king, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. But even if he does not, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had complete faith in the providence of God. Think of the man Job in the Old Testament. He lost his wealth, he lost his servants, he lost his children, he lost his health and his wife lost her faith. And when she lost her faith, he said to her, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In other words, Job recognised that good things and bad things happen in life. But behind it all, God is working out everything for his glory. Now that is providence. We see it in the life of Jesus. On one hill at Nazareth, people were trying to kill him by throwing him off a, a high point. And he was able to walk away through them all. And at another occasion in his life, on the hill of Golgotha, 
he was not able to walk away. He stayed there to remain on the cross. Peter on the day of Pentecost explained it this way. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you put him to death. So on man's side, there was an execution, an unjust conviction. But on God's side, there was a set purpose and foreknowledge of it all. God was working out his purposes in the death of his son. Now that's providence. We read in Acts that Stephen was stoned and died at the first attempt, whereas Paul was stoned in Lystra and he survived. Now that's providence. In Acts chapter 12, we read that the Apostle James was imprisoned and then he was beheaded. Immediately, Peter was also imprisoned by the same king, but Peter was released by an angel. Why was one apostle killed and another apostle released? That's providence. God works out everything in the end to fulfil his own purposes. When Queen Elizabeth I came to the throne after the bloody reign of Queen Mary I, she said, talking of the Tower of London, some have fallen from being princes in this land to prisoners in this place. I'm raised from being a prisoner in this place to be prince in this land. She might have said, now that's providence. David Pawson, the famous Methodist and Baptist minister who died on Ascension Day this year, his wife had cancer and the surgeons said that they would have to remove half her face. But as it turned out, she made a good recovery. Their daughter contracted leukaemia and she died within three weeks. Why was one lady healed and the other lady not healed? That is providence. You might have heard of Joni Erickson, young American woman who's now a quadriplegic because she dived into a, a lake, I think it was, and she had this diving accident and she became paralysed from the neck downwards. And she says, God has determined to steer what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Now that's providence. Or as Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 1, God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God always gets his way in the end. And there will be times in your life as a believer when you will have to trust in the providence of God. There will be times when you have to trust that God will work out everything in your life for his glory. You will have to trust that God will make it right in the end. You will have to trust in your life that God will bring meaning out of a mess. You will have to trust in the providence of God. I haven't got a word for the letter Q, so I'm moving on now to the letter R. And the letter R is for rewarder, because it says in Hebrews chapter 11, God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Jeremiah 32, you reward everyone according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount confirmed that God rewards people. He talked about uh, hypocrites who give away money, but they do it in a public way, seeking attention by having trumpeters playing in the streets as they threw their money to the poor. Jesus said they have received their reward in full. And then there were others 
who prayed on street corners to be seen by others. Jesus said they have received their reward in full. And then others fasted and they used to disfigure their faces so they looked more ill than they really were. Jesus said they have received their reward in full. You see, Jesus is saying that you can do the right things for the wrong reasons. And if you do the right thing for the wrong reason, you will receive no reward. But if you do the right thing for the right reason, then God will reward you in the end. Did you know that beavers are back in Great Britain? They've been absent from these islands for 500 years, but they've been reintroduced into Scotland. And also there's a small beaver colony in Devon and nobody quite knows how that came to be. And I saw this lovely poster of a beaver by a log and the inscription said, work for the Lord. The pay isn't much, but the benefits are out of this world. And the benefits of working for Christ are out of this world. Jesus told the parable of the talents and he said to two men, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's in Matthew's Gospel. In Luke, there's a similar parable called the parable of the pounds or modern translators say minas, which doesn't mean that much to me. Probably doesn't mean that much to you either. But the man who made 10 minas out of his one, Jesus said, because you have been trustworthy in a small matter, take charge of 10 cities. And the man who made five minas out of one, the master said, you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of five cities. See, Jesus is indicating through these parables that those who work for the kingdom will be rewarded. When we did the talks about heaven, I wonder if you got the impression that heaven is an egalitarian society. Do you believe that in heaven everyone will be equal? Clearly not, because we're learning that Jesus will give us rewards for our works. Now, we're not talking about eternal life here. Eternal life, forgiveness, the kingdom of God is a gift of grace through faith. And we all equally are undeserving and we all equally receive the gift of eternal life by grace through faith. But when we get into the ultimate heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, we will be given a reward for the works we have done here on the earth. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. By the grace God has given me, Paul, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, that person's work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of everyone's work. If the building survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder, however, will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Paul is telling us here that as we work to build the kingdom of God as Christians, 
the work we do will be tested by fire and the work which proves to have been worthy of gold and silver and costly stones then that work will be rewarded whereas if the work has been done in a poor manner wood hay or straw then that person's work will be shown up for what it is the person will be saved but the reward will be less in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 sorry 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Paul says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive what is due them for the things done while in the body whether good or bad Romans 14 verse 12 so then we will all give an account of ourselves to God these verses are telling us that you are answerable to Jesus Christ for your behaviour. You are answerable for, to Jesus Christ for your works. What you have said and thought and done since you got saved one day will be assessed by Jesus. Now, ding, ding, clang, clang, I hear you say, surely that's heresy. What about Romans chapter 8? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, that's right. Your sins have been forgiven, but you will still have to give an account. The penalty for sin has been taken, but you still have to give an account for what you do, both good and bad. Let me take two examples from family life. Imagine a brother and a sister of any age still living under your roof and the brother and the sister fall out and there's a, a fight and the brother breaks his sister's arm. You have unconditional love for that boy, for that son. So you will forgive him. But he's still answerable to you for the way in which he's treated his sister. Or imagine you have a daughter who's a lot younger, say 14 years old, and you get that dreaded phone call from school. And the school tells you that your 14 year old daughter is pregnant. The last thing you want to hear. She will come home. You will forgive her. But she will still have to give an account to you for what has happened. We are answerable to Jesus Christ for what we do. Things done in the body, whether good or bad. Your salvation is secure because God is determined to get you into the heaven and earth. The final heaven and earth. But when there you will have to give an account to Jesus Christ for your works and he will reward you accordingly. Now, because God is just, everybody in heaven will know that your reward and their reward is fairly given because Jesus knows all the facts and judges you justly. So nobody will think that somebody else has something that they do not deserve. Jesus will get it perfectly right. But also because there will be no sin in heaven, we won't feel jealous. So we won't be envious of somebody because their reward is greater than ours. We won't have nasty thoughts towards somebody else like we would down here. We won't feel sorry for ourselves. We will recognise that our station in heaven is absolutely right for us and it's absolutely just because that is the decision of Jesus Christ. And anyway, we'll be taken up with him more than with ourselves. The hymn writer said, the bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace, not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The lamb is all the glory 
of Emmanuel's land. One day you and I will have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The spotlight will be upon us. We will have to account for our lives and receive the reward that is due to us. Hebrews 11 again. God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now this is jaw-dropping stuff. I think you would agree. Moving on to the letter S. God is spirit. There was a Sunday school teacher in Scotland teaching this to the class. And the next Sunday, wanting to revise, the teacher said to the class, now what is God? And there was an awkward and embarrassed silence. And one boy hesitantly put up his hand and said, whiskey, miss? You remember in John chapter four, there was a woman at the well of Samaria and Jesus and she had a conversation they debated Jewish history, they talked about her personal history, and they discussed the authorised place for worship. And Jesus said, God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, in previous weeks, we have seen that God is eternal and God is almighty. We now see that God is spirit. So we can say that God has no birthday, he's eternal. God has no body, he is spirit. And he has no bounds. He is almighty. God has no birthday, no body and no bounds. Therefore, get rid of all ideas of God as a male, grandfatherly, benign Santa Claus. Our father is spirit. You may remember when considering the, the beauty of God, we turn to Exodus chapter 24, where Moses and Aaron and the 70 elders went up and saw the God of Israel, and under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. You see, they saw God, but what they described was a pavement, because you can't describe God. All they could describe what was under God's feet, so to speak. Similarly, in Ezekiel, we read that Ezekiel saw what looked like a throne of sapphire, and what looked like the figure of a man, and what appeared to be from his waist was glowing metal, and like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Again, you see, these men are lost for words to describe how God is, because God is spirit. God is not physical. He is not material. God is not made up of parts. God does not consist of bits and pieces. In John 1, it says, No one has ever seen God, but God, the only Son who is at the Father's side, has made him known. You cannot touch God, you cannot see God, you cannot taste God, you cannot hear God, you cannot smell God. God the Father is a personal spirit. T. God is truth. Now, maybe the first time in the Bible when this is described of God, it's described by the pagan prophet Balaam in Numbers 23. God is not a man, he said, that he should lie, nor a son of man, that he should change his mind. And this is echoed in Hebrews chapter 6. It is impossible for God to lie. On the negative side, what God cannot and will not do is tell an untruth, 
And on the positive side, God is always truth. Isaiah 65, whoever invokes a blessing in the land will swear by the God of truth. And then in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, we're not talking about mathematical truth here. One plus one plus one equals three. And by the way, when I was describing the Trinity, I should have pointed out that the maths there is one times one times one equals one. But we're not talking about mathematical truth here. We're not talking about historical truth. Was there a Holocaust or was there not? We're not talking about scientific truth. Does light always travel in a straight line? No, Jesus is speaking here about religious truth. God truth, faith truth. He's been saying in John 14, there are many rooms in my father's house. It's true. I'm going to take you there. That's true. I'm the way to the father. That is truth. I'm the way to eternal life. That's true. The father is in me and I'm in the father. That is truth. I am the truth. When Pilate said to him, what is truth? Jesus might have said to him, well, I told my disciples the answer to that question yesterday. John chapter one. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is authentic. Jesus is truthful. Jesus is honest. He is never devious. He is never deceitful. Jesus is truth. God is truth. Jesus called God the only true God. He called the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. He called himself the truth. And Paul says that followers of Jesus shall buckle the belt of truth around their waists. And then you, God is unchanging, so different from us. Our minds change, our moods change. Sometimes we change for the better, sometimes we change for the worse. But God never changes. Balaam again, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Psalm 102, you remain the same. Your years will never end. Malachi 3, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Aren't you glad that God is never moody? You never have to come to God and work out in advance what mood he's in, because God never changes. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. James says, the father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. In other words, the father is not like a sundial or like a planet in the sky which changes its position or like a star that can be eclipsed god never changes god never changes his mind because of unforeseen circumstances he knows everything god never changes his mind because something just crops up god knows what is going to happen god never changes his feelings he always loves he is always just he's always holy he is always fatherly, he is always gracious, he is always merciful. God never changes his decisions. He is as determined to save you today as he ever was. He is determined to bring in the new heaven and the new earth. He is determined to reward his people for their works. What God has been, he is now. And what God is now, he will be forever. Now, I have given you some iron rations for your soul today. Because of God's providence, you know he will work out your life in his own way for his glory. 
whatever mess you might have made of it. You know that because God rewards you for your unseen works, that you are accountable for those unseen works, and God will reward you for the good ones. Because God is spirit and God is truth, you know that you must worship him in spirit and in truth. And because God is unchanging, you know he will never ever change his mind about you. Let's leave the last word with Charles Wesley. Thou judge of quick and dead, before whose bar severe, with holy joy or guilty dread, we all shall soon appear. Our cautioned souls prepare for that tremendous day and fill us now with watchful care and stir us up to pray. Amen.